0: Welcome to the show. I'm Brian Ballow, and I'm here with Ed Ayers. Hey. And Peter Onuf's with us. Hey, Brian. And this... Hi there. Is Joanne Freeman. She's an historian at Yale University who specializes in America's founding era. And she told me this amazing story the other day about a guy named William McClay. McClay was one of Pennsylvania's first U.S. senators, meaning that he was in the Senate when George Washington was president.
1: And, and McClay really admired Washington. he calls him the first of men <laughs> throughout his diary mm. and he doesn't know what to do whenever he's around Washington like his bows he thinks they're awkward and he doesn't know what to you know where to stand or where to look so and he's
0: infatuated
1: he is and and a little you know awestruck and he describes in his diary. Um, a dinner party where he enters the room and Washington's at the door and he's totally flustered and he makes a bow that he thinks looks really stupid and he sees an empty (laughs) seat across the room by some guys from Rhode Island and he says, I'm heading for the empty seat by the Rhode Island guys. Oh, no, not Rhode Island. I know, heaven forbid. um, As he makes a few steps away from Washington, he sees out of the corner of his eye Washington gesture for him to come and sit near him. So McClay pauses... And he thinks to himself, what would be the, the, the good sort of patriotic, small-r Republican thing to do? He says, if I turn around and I take that seat, I'm treating him kind of like a monarch. And if I treat him like a monarch, he's going to think he's a monarch. And if he thinks he's a monarch, he'll become a monarch, and then we'll destroy the government. So he doesn't take the seat. He keeps walking because he's afraid that if he takes that seat, it could destroy the government.
0: This was the level of anxiety swirling around George Washington in 1789 as he abandoned life as a retired war hero and assumed the role of chief executive. And if you think McClay was worried about details, Washington was ten times more worried. Nobody sweat the minute details more than George Washington.
1: Every single thing, you know, like, should he shake hands with common American citizens? You know, yes or no. Um, he debated everything. What was the answer to that? that actually, the answer to that was no. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and that was commented on, you know, oh, I see. Well, in that case, you know, what does that mean? Is he acting monarchical? Is he sort of acting like a king? And that was the really the big underlying stakes for Washington as president is the default in the late 18th century in the world at large was king. And there wasn't such a thing as a president. No one knew what that was. You know, they sort of invented this new, interesting kind of national executive with the Constitution. But they were making it up, except for the basics in the Constitution, as far as what the office really was and what it felt like and the the sort of tone of the thing. They really had to make it up as they went along.
0: When Donald Trump swears on a Bible and repeats after the Chief Justice next week, he will be reenacting a rite performed dozens of times before him. And it's easy to understand how, for many people, these presidential inaugurations just seem like another tired piece of political theater. But the story we heard a moment ago reminds us that there have been times in American history when inaugurations were anything but tired times when the incredibly high stakes of a presidential transition were played out in the inauguration itself.
1: And so today on the show, we're going to zero in on a few of these high-stakes inaugurations. We have got stories that just may change your thinking about this quadrennial event. We'll begin in New York City,
0: the nation's very first capital. The man of the hour, of course, was George Washington. Here's historian Joanne Freeman again.
1: You can see that he decided very carefully what he was going to wear to his inauguration. He wore um, homespun American cloth made in Connecticut. It was apparently beautiful homespun cloth so that you, you wouldn't have known from looking at it that that's what it was. But symbolically speaking, he was trying to be sort of plain straightforward guy. You know, not, I'm mm-hmm. not a king, not me. But he had diamond buckles on his shoes. So that was like, you know, a great Washington compromise. It's like, well, yes, I'm dressed in homespun like any other American except for those diamonds. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he also made a decision in the afternoons. Very often he would take these walks around the block very ostentatiously around 2, 3 in the afternoon. He would leave and walk around the block and stop and look up at a church clock and then set his watch and then go back to his office. And that was a very explicit political statement that, you know— I don't always ride in a carriage. Look at me. I'm walking in the street. Right. And not only was that the message, but people got the message and he got fan mail. <laughs> like, you know, great thing, George, the walks. <laughs> we love it.
0: <laughs> so to go, go back to the inauguration, take us through the inauguration as though you were commenting on, you were doing the color for a football game. Uh, <laughs> comment on how he's doing on towing this, Thin line between, you know, veering towards monarchy or simply being an unimportant plebeian.
1: Well, certainly the American people. Um we're not treating him like a plebeian on his way up. You know, he came up from Virginia, from Mount Vernon, up to New York, which was the the first capital. And he was, you know, there were hosannas being sung the entire way up mm-hmm. and flowers strewn in his path and, you know, women sort of with banners. And, you know, there was a whole celebration all the way to his Now, help me path. out.
0: He, I, I'm, I'm certain he wasn't in a limousine. So <laughs> how was he no. processing?
1: Uh, he, for the most part, he was in a carriage. Mm-hmm. For the Wasn't that was writing, a little
0: a, a little dangerous, a little monarchist, perhaps?
1: Well, yeah. And as a matter of fact, he got some criticism, not inaugural criticism, but generally speaking, he had a very fancy carriage and he had a lot of white horses and, and people who were prone to worry about a monarchy. That was one of the things they looked at was, ooh, you know, I mean, we know he's president and everything, but it's an awfully fancy carriage and a lot of fancy horses. So the the inauguration, I think America was in, you know, yippee mode. And so I don't think that they were yet at that moment sort of coming down on his head for right. being monarchical. Right. You know, and there were barges in Manhattan Harbor, and um, he was sort of, you know, conducted on this sort of ceremonial barge that he embarked from and um, was taken to Federal Hall um, where he could take the oath of office. But the, the sort of wonderful part about this is what was going on at Federal Hall, which is where Congress was meeting before this, because Congress, and in particular, the, the Senate, was debating what the heck should happen during an inauguration because nobody knew. You know, what? first of all, what is a president? And secondly, how do you inaugurate one? Like, what, right. What's supposed to happen? So there are these really anxious debates about, you know, what should happen. And, and they were sort of inanely detailed debates, like should the Senate stand when the president enters the room? Because that's treating him kind of like a monarch. But on the other hand, if they don't stand, that's kind of being disrespectful. They sort of agonized over it. I mean, in the end, I think they stood and then sat. And then Washington went out on the balcony of Federal Hall to take the oath of office. (laughs) Um, And then he came back into the Senate chamber and he gave a very brief address to both houses of Congress, which is the equivalent of the first inaugural address. Uh Um, Indeed, the first thing he says is um, that, you know, on the one hand, he's really honored. And on the other hand, (laughs) he's really scared um, because he knows all of the many ways in which he's not qualified to do this job. And he also knows that as president, everyone will be watching him not know how to do it. So it's sort of this wonderful, poignant kind of honest moment on the part of Washington. But what's also wonderful about the moment is Washington was so nervous and so scared that he was literally shaking. He he was holding a speech and his hands were shaking and and his voice was trembling. He was honestly terrified about what was happening at that moment in, in the sort of big bundle of nothingness that he was walking into as the, the first president of the United States. He said um, not long after that, I walk on untrodden ground. He just didn't know what was coming.
0: Now, of course— that inaugural, as important as it was, is really just a point and not a line, uh, and we can't begin to get a line on the inaugural until we have a few more. So take us through Adams's inaugural and Jefferson's, if you would.
1: Sure. Um, in a way, Adams's inaugural is not that different from Washington's. Right. Another um, the- Federalist. Another Federalist, and in a lot of ways, you know, his inaugural, he says the same sorts of things, you know, I hope I'm up to the job. I'm not precisely sure what Adams wore to his inauguration, but generally speaking, when he dressed formally, he did wear a ceremonial sword, which, considering that he had never had any military service of any kind, was just a real borrowing from Washington. Well, if he wears one, then I guess (laughs) I'll do that, too. That's part of the president's suit. (laughs) Um, but, you know, it's really Jefferson's inaugural address that has a, a very strong political statement in it um, for the first time. And that's because his election is so contested and, and yes. you know, it took a long time for them to figure out who actually was the president. When he finally is the president and gives that inaugural address, he's very firm about trying to smooth over party differences that that made that election so fierce and so bitter. So he actually does come out and say, you know, we are all federalists. We are all Republicans. Um, You know, really, we should put some of those differences behind us and and move ahead as a nation.
0: Joanne, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks. It's been great being here.
0: Joanne Freeman is a professor of history at Yale University and starting next month, co-host of Backstory. She's the author of Affairs of Honor, National Politics in the New Republic.